Thanks, Kyle. Um, I wonder if I win the longest title of any talk at the conference um, award. Uh, I probably could have made it shorter, but it's highly descriptive for what I'm going to be talking about today. Um, so, um, before we get started, I just wanted to let everyone know that I'm going to be providing a link that has all of the resources that I talk about today uh, at the end of the presentation. So, feel free not to take notes uh, because you can just look at all the resources online. Um, and then to kick us off, I thought that we would play our brand video. Um, so this brand video very quickly covers who giving what we can is, what we do, but also hopefully conveys, I guess, how giving what we can really wants to communicate to our audience. So let's kick off with that. Have you ever helped someone in need? Then you know how good it can feel. But good feelings and intentions don't always produce the desired outcomes. Like charities. There are millions of them to choose from. And the choice matters because lives are on the line. Depending on the one you pick, you could do a little or a lot of good. And with some choices, you can actually cause harm. So how can you make the best choice? How can you be sure your donation will have the impact you want and trust that your generosity isn't wasted. Giving What We Can is a community of thousands of like-minded people who are ready to help you maximize your charitable impact. We can help you find the most pressing problems and then identify the most impactful charities working to solve them. We provide the support, community, and information you need at every stage of your giving journey, whether you're just getting started or want to make effective giving a meaningful part of your life. Together, we can make the world better for all its inhabitants for generations to come. Check out givingwhatwecan.org to learn how you can become an effective giver. How great does that video look on the uh, big screen? It looks really gorgeous. I'm really happy with it. That's the first time I've seen it on a screen this big. Um, I mean... It's pretty rare that you're on a screen this big, but uh, you know, I think it looks great. So hopefully now we're all aware of what Giving What We Can does, um, and hopefully you've seen our beautiful new branding. So Giving What We Can was really a part of the early effective altruism community, and effective altruism has grown a lot in the previous years and now has a bigger focus on careers and includes a lot more cause areas than it originally did. Originally, there was a very big focus on global health and development. And, you know, with all of these changes, uh, we at Giving What We Can have recently refreshed our strategy and we've really doubled down on our mission to create a world in which giving effectively and significantly is a cultural norm. And it's a pretty big goal. Look, I will admit that. Uh, in fact, it's maybe crazy ambitious, but we're, we're doing our best along with the EA community to change the world. And I think one of the most important things to note about this, uh, you know, big goal of creating a cultural norm is that we're going to need to reach, I don't know, like ridiculous amount more people than are currently aware of effective giving and effective altruism that are current, you know, than are currently aware of it. And I think this is where the role of really great marketing and communications comes into play. Without great marketing and communications that are going to reach millions and then hopefully billions of people, we're not really going to be able to create this cultural norm that we are giving what we can see as our North Star. So that brings us to talking a little bit more about spreading the ideas of effective altruism. Oh, but before I move on, I did just want to say that at Giving What We Can, not only do we care about effective giving um, being a cultural norm, we really see that effective giving is a first step and an introductory point to the broader ideas of effective altruism. And that the work that we do in effective giving should have a flow through to the broader community. And I think that's really important to acknowledge because I think that there's, there's a journey that people go on and for many people it's going to be starting with effective giving and then moving through to some of the broader ideas and careers uh, that is a big focus of the community today. 
So in this talk, I am going to cover the three principles that we uh, think of when we're thinking about communications uh, and spreading EA ideas at giving what we can. I'm going to talk about what has worked well in the past in terms of getting more people engaged and interested in effective giving. We're going to talk about some of the things that uh, we're testing in our marketing and communications at giving what we can at the moment and some of the preliminary results of that testing. And I'm going to leave you with some actionable advice on how individuals can spread EA ideas themselves. And I know some of you have already mentioned to me that you are in an EA group and you're looking to think about how you can uh, spread those ideas as an EA group or another organisation. So hopefully there is something in there for you to take away as well. So, there are three things that we think are really important when we're designing these messages and communications to reach people uh, about effective altruism and effective giving. And giving what we can might have a slightly different perspective here to other organisations, but at giving what we can, we're really interested in reaching a broad group of people uh, because we think that effective giving is something that many, many people can be on board with. I don't know who doesn't want more value for, the kind, for their donations. I mean, to me, it sounds like a very simple thing that we think that many people can be interested in. So the first of those principles is accessibility. We think it's really important for there to be approachable messaging that people can easily understand. While many parts of the community do have an academic focus or are really interested in topics like AI safety, the reality is that many people have no idea what AI safety is. <laughs> um, or they don't have an academic background and a lot of the resources that are available might not necessarily be something that they can understand. So making sure that we have approachable messaging, that means that anyone who could be reasonably interested in these ideas understands what we're talking about is a really key thing for us to consider. We also really want to make sure that people without these academic backgrounds feel like they can add value to the community. Anyone who is interested in making an impact in the world should feel that they can be part of the effective altruism community and feel that effective giving is a place that they can fit in. And along those lines, it's also important to acknowledge that there are no requirements to be a part of the effective altruism community. There is no requirement for someone to give all of their income to charity or to be working for an EA organisation in order for them to make an important and helpful contribution to the world. The second principle is fidelity. A large part of the EA community is really about being truthful and, I guess, representing ideas with clarity and fidelity. So in our communications, it's really important that we don't misrepresent ideas. And I think this is an area where a lot of marketing communications in the not-for-profit sector has gone wrong in the past. They often use hyperbole or exaggerate their benefits in order to get more attention or more engagement, and that's not something that we're willing to sacrifice uh, at giving what we can. The EA community prides itself on having well-informed and rational arguments, and that's exactly how we want to portray our messaging at giving what we can. We also really want to make sure that we're giving the ideas the right context in order to be well understood. So sometimes this might mean spending more time to explain an idea so it's understood correctly, so that people really understand what we mean. The next and probably most important uh, principle we can think about uh, is motivation. We're a very small movement at the moment. And if we fail to motivate people in our interactions or through our resources, they're not going to take action, and without that action, we will fail to grow. So making sure that motivation is a key element of the communications that we are creating hopefully means that our movement will grow and we will have that larger success and hopefully create that cultural norm uh, that we are really, really aiming to do. So to recap the things that we really care about when we're creating 
communications are accessibility, fidelity and motivation. And it's with those principles that we think we can really create compelling marketing and communications. So on to our second section. What has worked really well in the past in terms of engaging people and getting people interested in both effective giving, um, giving what we can, and, uh, and effective altruism more broadly? So the graph that we can see here um, shows us uh, how, how people uh, heard about us uh, after they took or, or People who took a pledge, how did they hear about us? Um, and so the number one way was through this kind of like long form content. Many people have heard about us through podcasts or books or articles or TED Talks. We've seen a lot of success through that and particular success with some high profile people like Sam Harris, who really took the time to explain the ideas of effective giving and effective altruism and also handle some objections about what that meant. And I think that this kind of long form content has been successful because people really do get the chance to understand and hear those ideas in detail and really make their mind up about them. The second point that I wanted to talk about was other organisations um, and EA groups. So 80,000 hours and other organisations as well as EA groups have been a major contributor to people taking the Giving What We Can pledge, but also referral into the community more broadly. So these kinds of organisations are often reaching people when they're at a particular turning point in their lives or, you know, thinking about how to make an impact um, as well as when they have high openness to new ideas. So I think that this is another particularly interesting point where we've seen success in the past. And then the third thing is word of mouth. Here we can see it's like a... Oh, back. Oh, no, I don't know how to work the machine. Ah, there we go. Thank you. Um, so uh, we um, can see that an existing um, member or individual person has been a really large contributor to the number of pledges that we've had. But in the EA survey in 2020, it was actually the number one reason that people had heard about effective altruism. So I really think that there is... It's important to highlight how important word of mouth and our personal contacts and networks are in growing effective altruism. I think if there's anything that anyone could take away from this talk, it's that your own advocacy is incredibly important um, as an individual and it's not something that we should neglect in the growth of effective altruism. So based on the past, the, some good ways to get people interested in effective altruism are by leveraging the personal networks and social proof that I just mentioned, uh, reaching people at key points in their lives. Uh, so while they might have uh, be thinking about impact at university or going through a career change, as well as creating compelling long form content uh, I think that that's something we've seen enormous success with the ADK podcast and other things as well. So hopefully that is a, a growing area as well. Now that we've talked about the past, uh, we can talk about what we're currently doing at Giving What We Can. So this year is really the first year that Giving What We Can has had a marketing budget, which is really exciting for us. But with uh, great power comes great responsibility. And with that responsibility, we have uh, taken a test and learn approach to this, uh, to the way that we're doing marketing and advertising at Giving What We Can. And what that means is we are running a number of small tests and have a number of hypotheses about the way, the types of marketing and communications that might resonate with our audience. Uh, and then over time, we'll hopefully see which of those work, which of those don't. And hopefully we'll be able to build up a reliable set of messages and tactics and interventions that we can use to scale up marketing for effective giving, uh, for giving what we can, but also the industry more broadly, uh, as well as effective altruism. And we're doing this alongside the EA Market Testing Group, which is a group comprised of individuals and organisations across the EA community, uh, where we're sharing these kinds of results. So not only are giving what we can interested in this kind of uh, sharing of our ideas and learnings um, in this marketing and communication space, but 
we're sharing those ideas not only with you all today, as we'll discuss further, but uh, with other organisations. And before we get into a couple of the tests that we've run on Facebook and Instagram and we talk about those results, uh, I'm just wanting to give a little bit of a caveat that these are really some initial kind of tests that we've run. And I... Uh, I think we should just take them with a grain of salt. So the conclusions that I'm going to share are from a couple of limited early tests and it's really important that we do future and further tests to feel really confident in these conclusions. So before anyone goes and takes these ads and replicates them for their EA group, I just want to let you know that we should take them with a grain of salt. So the first test that I wanted to talk to you about today was our giving guide lead generation test. So at the end of last year, we developed this beautiful, effective giving guide PDF that you can find on our website uh, if you'd like to share it with your friends and family. Um, I just feel like I'm constantly plugging things. Um, okay, and so we had this beautiful PDF that we designed which tell, told people a little bit about effective giving, talked about the kinds of charities they could donate to, and hopefully was a really helpful resource at getting people to donate effectively, sometimes for the first time. So this test that we ran involved an ad on Facebook and Instagram that allowed people to see a little video animation, which I'm going to show you in a minute, um, and had a form attached so people would watch the animation, click on the link, and then fill out their email address, which would give them the PDF download of the giving guide and also give us their email address and subscribe them to our newsletter. So the actual bit that we were testing here is in the next slide. So what we were doing was we were testing, I guess, two different types of messaging or two different themes of messaging against each other. We had a, a theme that we called factual, which relied on a statistic to kind of engage people with the uh, ad, and then another cause-led or more emotional approach that we used to try and get people interested. So we had uh, one, one ad or one animation for the factual approach and then we had a uh, series of uh, emotional approaches or causelet approaches. So we had the animal welfare, global poverty and climate change uh, ads. And for the audiences that we targeted this to, we targeted to basically all adults in the uh, regions that we had uh, tax deductibility status for donations in, and also uh, audiences that were interested in philanthropy, people who are similar to our current audience, aka lookalikes, retargeting, which are people who have been to our audience, as well as targeting like the animal welfare, uh, add to an animal welfare interested audience, same for climate change and global poverty. Uh, but before we get into exactly which of these ads outperformed each other, and by outperformed each other I mean we generated the results for the lowest cost, I am going to actually show you um, those ads and we're going to take a little poll on which one we thought was more effective. A little bit of audience participation. Okay, so first up, I'm going to show you the cause light ad. And for simplicity's sake, I'm not going to show you the other two because um, we've got limited time. Uh, um, but I will show you the factual one and then we'll, then we'll do a poll. Okay. So, I'd like you to all put your hands up if you think that the cause-led ad would have been more, most cost-effective at generating these email leads. I'm going to say that's the majority of the audience, and then hands up for factual. Okay, so like, let's say 20% of the audience. Well, the results are, drumroll, 
that the uh, cause-led ad was more effective, so the majority of you were right. Good intuition. Um, and actually, we were really disappointed here by the factual ad. $22 for an email address is pretty high. It's not a great result. We weren't, we weren't very happy with this. So one of the things that we thought we could do in order to, I guess, try and get a better result um, in the, for another version of this test was to remove that initial animation that we saw um, with the uh, little Gangnam style being filled out in the search engine and just cut it down. So the second uh, version of this test that we ran took the cause-led ads and then put them head-to-head -head with a second version of the factual ad, which started with this, only 3% of donors give based on charity effectiveness. So here we were trying to see whether removing that initial animation made a difference and it did. Um, we actually found, oh, it's kind of wrapped around, oh well. Um, we found that it actually made a significant difference. It more than halved the cost of a lead here. So this was an excellent example of how important the hook is uh, in advertising. So that initial animation, people just were not interested, clicked off and therefore generated a very high cost for us per lead. But this version did much better and now actually outperformed the cause-led versions which were performing better in the first test. So this was a really interesting insight for us. And the other thing to mention was this, uh, this only 3% of donors stat was also the most effective text that we had above the ad because, you know, on Facebook you have like a little description above and a little description below. Um, so that, that was actually most effective as well. So it could be that this stat is uh, particularly good um, or it could be that, yeah, we just... Uh, that's just how it performed. So uh, really at the end of this particular test, we saw that um, we could get an email lead for around $8 with these uh, campaigns, um, which is okay. I mean, in the, in the future, we think we could get that down a little bit lower and we're still doing some further analysis to see whether the, the people who subscribed to the newsletter and downloaded the giving guide actually became uh, useful donors for us in the future or not. So that's something we're still looking at. But in terms of this like initial Facebook campaign, we saw that we could get uh, an email lead for about $8. And then the second test I wanted to talk to you about today was our giving themes test. So kind of building on that initial test that we did, we wanted to test uh, five different themes uh, against each other. So we used different lots of wording. So this kind of wording up here and down here, we picked a few different themes and paired that with the brand video that you saw at the start of the presentation. And so the idea here was to see whether these different like themes that we wanted to uh, include, whether any of them were more effective, whether people resonated with them more and caused them to click through and land on our website. So those themes that we used were around effectiveness, giving more, the services that we provide, social proof, um, and values. And we had three different messages under each one of the themes that you can see here. Um, and the ones that I'm just displaying here are, were the, the most effective or like the best of those in each category. Um, and now it is time for our second poll. Uh, I'm going to quickly get you to <laughs> tell me which of these you think would have been most successful as well. We had great intuition on the first test, so I'm hoping that the intuition is just as good the second time around. So, hands up for effectiveness. Okay, some of you. Uh, giving more, pretty, pretty small. Okay, services, okay, literally no one. Uh, social proof, loving that. Um, values, okay, so I feel like social proof and values kind of polled well here. Interesting, okay. So the results were that social proof and values performed the best. Our crazy good intuition in this audience today. Um, maybe highlighted by my earlier focus on how social proof uh, is really important and your personal connections. Um, 
but good to see there's a, there's a theme in all of this. Um, so we found that social proof significantly outperformed the other themes and that was uh, statistically significant. Um, so yeah, social proof was the, the best performing theme here. Uh, followed by values. And then if we take these results and break them down further by messages, we actually see that there's like one message that's doing the bulk of the work here, but another one performed particularly well as well. So there are eight, join 8,000 givers and thousands have their impact. Anyway, these two messages both had messaging about joining or being part of a community. So it could be that people are just very interested in community uh, and that's what people were drawn to. There were a couple of others that performed particularly well, one in the giving more category and one in the values category. The other interesting result that we saw from this test was uh, to do with age. So if we take the themes and then break them down by age group, we can see that the social proof messaging that was most effective overall performed particularly well in this 25 to 34 age group. But in the 18 to 24 age group, we can see that values perform particularly well. So, I mean, it's hard, as I said before, look, it's hard to be confident that these results are really showing us anything uh, that we could be, you know, very confident in uh, using in the future. But I do think it's an interesting starting point for us to think about creating more tests off the back of and trying to generate more reliable learnings and advertising in the future. So, I mean, it really, it could be that messaging around values for people in this younger age group as they kind of like become adults for the first time is particularly effective. And then as we get older, we really care more about what others think. Um, <laughs> I mean, hard to know if that's true, but um, it will be interesting to test this further. And this is like the kind of interesting result that we really care about it giving what we can as an initial result that we can then use to build on further testing and then hopefully share um, and scale up some kind of great reliable uh, marketing that will get many more people interested in effective giving. So, what do these test results mean for the way that we're marketing uh, the EA ideas at giving what we can? I mean, really, we saw that some themes might be better than others, uh, like social proof, joining a community that we talked about with those two uh, messages that performed really well, um, as well as the use of statistics. Uh, in that first test. Uh, some audiences might also perform better than others. So I didn't go into these results in detail, but we did see that the animal welfare audience in that first giving guide test actually did perform statistically better than the other audiences. So it could be that people interested in animal welfare are also more interested in the ideas of effective giving. Um, and based on the, I guess, the current representation of the EA community, we know that many people are deeply interested in animal welfare in the community and do have a wide moral circle. Uh, also, audiences that are similar to our current audience, probably no surprise, um, did actually perform really well. And one of the reasons we think that it's worth testing these similar audiences to our current audience is that really only a small percentage of people who know about effective giving are actually aware of it. So it's worth us kind of like hammering home uh, similar people to our current audience to try and grow the awareness of effective giving. And as I've said a few times now, it's also important that we just continue to refine and test these more in order to feel more confident. Uh, because uh, a couple of tests really isn't the reliable kind of library that we would, we would like to be using. So, that's what we have done recently, but what are we doing in the near future? We're doing more tests um, as much as possible. We're also looking at exploring sponsorships on channels like YouTube and podcasts. And one of the reasons for this is 
around the long form content that I mentioned earlier. We think, you know, engagement is quite high on these channels and people do tend to be interested for longer periods of time or hold their engagement a little bit longer. So this is one of the reasons that we think YouTube and podcasts could be good channels for us, um, but also they just generally perform well um, in terms of advertising. And uh, we are also very interested in studying the best journeys for uh, conversion. So. What is the best first interaction that someone could have with giving what we can? And then second and third and fourth interaction to then go on to become a pledger with us or to become a regular donor. Figuring out how to optimise that pathway will be really important for us to, I guess, get people more engaged with us. So now that we have gone through the majority of the things that uh, we are doing now. I'm going to summarise before I go on to our last section. So we know that spreading EA ideas is really important if we want to grow the movement and therefore grow the impact of the EA community. There are three key principles that we think about when we're communicating and they are accessibility, fidelity and motivation. We have seen that our personal contacts and our networks are incredibly important ways to get people interested in effective giving, as well as EA orgs and long-form content. Uh, at Giving What We Can, we are using a test and learn approach with our marketing and advertising, and today we went through some of those results. And there's many more interesting things that Giving What We Can intends to do in the near future. But before we go to some Q&A, um, we're going to talk a little bit about how you as an individual or maybe as a group or a group leader can spread EA ideas. And I know that actually a few people who either wrote or reviewed this, uh, this uh, article that I'm going to be mentioning are actually here at the conference uh, this weekend. So if you see them, thank them for their good work. Um, but without further ado, let's go on. So, uh, surprise, surprise, um, it's also great, while instead of just, you know, making your marketing and communications as an organisation accessible, if you also keep your personal introductions to EA accessible. So, starting basic with the way that you introduce effective altruism to someone is probably a pretty good idea. So, starting with concepts like wouldn't you want to make more impact for the same effort? Or wouldn't you want your donation to go further? Uh, might be a better starting point than diving straight into AI safety or something like that. Uh, I mean, unless they're already in AI safety or in AI and they have a particular interest, in which case, go for it. Um, but many people have no idea what you're talking about when you say AI safety. Um, so keeping it simple and getting some agreement early on about basic concepts like, I want to do more good, don't you? Yeah, who doesn't? Um, <laughs> and then I guess the second thing is, and it's pretty obvious, but like avoiding acronyms or jargon. I don't know anyone in my personal life that isn't associated with this community that would ever use a phrase like marginal utility or the counterfactual of a decision. Um, and, I mean, power to you if that's what your personal network is like. Um, <laughs> uh, and I would love to be having those conversations, but my parents would not understand me. Um, so generally avoiding those kinds of acronyms and jargon is a good idea. And my personal challenge to people is if you're talking about effective altruism for the first time with someone, try not to mention the words effective altruism. I mean, I think you could really get the point across by just saying like, oh, we just try and do the most good. That's what we're all about. And I think that, you know, avoiding the words effective altruism, I mean, one, it's kind, you can kind of intuit what it means, but a lot of people kind of get it wrong. Um, and two, it makes us sound like a, a little kind of in-group. I think it's nice to keep it broad, keep it accessible. You care about doing the most good. We don't need to label it necessarily. And if they're interested, then you can. Um, and then three, I think uh, it also helps to set boundaries and make it clear that Effective altruism, yeah, it's not about giving every single second to doing good. It is about doing what you can, giving what you can um, to make, make a positive impact. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, the second thing you can do is share your story. So sharing your own personal motivations for being interested in effective giving um, or effective altruism. I mean, it's really powerful. I um, have been very interested in hearing those stories from other people and uh, I guess hearing other people talk about their own experiences made me feel much more comfortable to get interested and to start donating and then take the pledge. So highly recommend that. And if you're thinking about how to share your story, it also helps to think about how to do that as well. So thinking about what motivated you to become interested, why you think making an impact is most like, uh, like a priority for you. I think that's really uh, a beneficial way to go about this. And if you wanted some inspiration, uh, Giving What We Can has a large collection of member stories, as well as videos that we have uh, made with our members telling us about why, why they got interested in this. And I mean, personally, they're very motivating to go and watch. Um, I go and watch them if I'm having a bad day, but it also might give you some ideas about how to talk uh, about uh, effective altruism. Um, you could also share some of the, some examples of EI ideas in practice. So. You could talk about effective charity interventions, like how the Against Malaria Foundation effectively distributes uh, insecticide-treated uh, bed nets to prevent malaria for less than $5, and you know it only costs four dollars to $5,000 to save a life. You could also talk about how some interventions are kind of unintuitive, and without this kind of reason and evidence behind them, we wouldn't be utilising these really great things like deworming and its positive effects on school participation. You could talk about people who have switched their career to have more impact. So I think a lot of doctors have moved away from their career in medicine, which is already help focused on helping people, and then moved into policy, like Dr. Lucia Coulter at the Lead uh, Exposure Elimination Project. I think that's a really great example of how you can make a move to create more impact. Uh, when you already cared about doing a lot of good to begin with. And you could also talk about the great work at EA Orgs, like Giving What We Can, or 80,000 Hours, or Charity Entrepreneurship, the list goes on. And finally, you can use all of the resources and tools that are available to you. So there are free books that are constantly being given away. There were some here at the conference this weekend. There are you know, The Life You Can Save is available on their website. 80,000 Hours is giving a free book to anyone who subscribes to their mailing list. There are also infinite blogs or articles you can share. I'm sure that Giving What We Can has probably got a blog post on any topic that you can think of uh, relating to effective giving. We have an extensive library. Um, but also, you could come along to an event or host your own. So we have monthly meetups, uh, we have an open forum where you can ask questions about effective giving, um, but we would love you to also host your own events. So we have plenty of resources about hosting your own events. You could host a giving game to help your friends and family direct donations to different effective charities and learn about effective charity. You could host an introductory kind of talk on effective giving or effective altruism. And we also have an effective giving advocacy challenge that we run at the end of the year, um, which has so many great ideas about how to share these ideas uh, with your network. One of my favourites is to include a line in your email signature about your giving or about your involvement with effective altruism. Um, and now that I've told you about all of the resources and tools, I will now direct you to the link where you can find them. Um, so th that's, that's it for me today. That's the end of the talk. Um, please visit this uh, link and you can find all of the resources or you can come up and ask me. And the other thing to mention before I finish is that tomorrow we have an effective giving meetup at 12 p.m. We would love to see you there. Um, and with that, I am finished. Thank you. That was really good. I really enjoyed that. You were really concerned. That went really well. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. How dare you tell the audience that I was nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I've exposed you. Um, Luke has joined us. Thank you, Luke, for coming up. Luke is G'day. the Executive Director of Giving What We Can. Um, I wanted to start uh, by saying and uh, asking, you want to you know, develop this cultural norm of giving effectively and giving 
uh, an amount. Um, curious, like, what uh, communities, groups, countries are you most optimistic about cultivating that kind of culture in? Um, to start with, uh, we think that uh, those who have more have both an opportunity and a responsibility to give more, um, and that anyone who is giving to give effectively is uh, something that uh, should at least quite easily be in their mix of donation options. Um, not necessarily everything, but it's a huge way to have an impact. So typically that means we uh, focused on people in high income countries and within those countries, the kind of top half of earners, generally speaking, um, you know, people who have a likely that they're going to be in the top 5% globally in, of income earners. So I, I suppose Australia is a, a good example. Yeah, how's, oh, it, yeah. how's it going? How is Australia going as a, as a cultivating a culture of giving? Uh, yeah, um, in terms of giving what we can, it's our uh, third, third or fourth, it varies with Germany, uh, generally third biggest country. Um, so punching above its weight. That's, that's, that's really good to hear. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that as an Australian. It makes, <laughs> makes me proud, you know. But everyone in the audience could do their part to make sure we stay <laughs> ahead of Germany. <laughs> Consider it a test of your national pride. Um, well, well, keeping with the Australia theme, I'm really curious. So we're getting some politicians on board with this, aren't we? We heard Andrew Lee last night speak about how he and his wife are donating money to save a life um, in my hometown of Brisbane. Um, small hometown, small town, that you've heard of it. <laughs> Um, we have a, a councillor who has taken the, the Giving What We Can pledge. Yeah, he, he uh, donates to uh, effective altruism charities. So I, my question here is, should we be leveraging these people and their public platforms, or is it a bit dicey and we don't want to be getting involved in politics? I think, uh, I mean, really giving what we can is a, is a big fan of being public and um, encouraging people to advocate for effective giving as much as they're willing and able to. And we have a particular interest in growing this part of uh, our, I guess, like marketing communication strategy in the future to in engage many more people in their advocacy um, because as I just spoke about for about 40 minutes, like, you know, it's really vital for the growth of the movement that people are talking about their giving. And I think that's a core part of giving what we can's DNA. It's, it's all about this public pledge that you take, right? Um, so we would highly encourage that people talk more about their giving because when we talk about our behaviours, it encourages other people to do it as well. Um, so there are immense benefits for doing that and uh, I'm very keen to find out who this counsellor is so we can get them, get them telling us about their pledge and get a member story. We're here to hear first. If you live in Canberra and Andrew's electorate, email him, tell him the Facebook post about it. If you live in West End, Jonathan Shree is the name of the counsellor. Let him know that he should be telling people about it. As Emma Hurst was telling us uh, last night, you'd need to tag them on Facebook and then their office will get a <laughs> notification on Google. Yeah. Yep. Just to add to that, um, when it comes to advocacy, particularly from people who have a following or a public platform, uh, for us, you know, that was a big decision. We had a kind of a few moments where you're like, oh, do you want to be too associated with someone's audience and, and things like that? Um, we found it's been very good at being uh, largely one directional. So people are generally advocating for us, not the other way around. Um, and so you talk about what concerns about you know, politics or people's audiences or being kind of typecast or anything like that. Um, in fact, for us, diversity is a really good thing. If you see people from very different walks of life, very different political opinions saying, look, at the very least, I'm going to draw a line in the sand and say that I have a huge opportunity to help others and I'm taking that. Um, for us, that it, uh, it's, it actually says a lot to have that diversity of people um, and to have it be something that people do humbly and do from a recognition of what they have uh, and a celebration of the opportunity to have impact, not a guilt trip or anything like that. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. That's, that's interesting. Fun fact, the starting salary for federal MPs is $220,000. <clears> you should be letting them know that they should be donating <laughs> to giving them... <laughs> Um, my, my next question is a bit of, bit of, I'm curious, what doubts, if any, do you have about the EA ideas and the effective giving ideas that you are spreading? And uh, have, have your experiences spreading them caused you to, to change your mind about them in any way? I, I mean, I think this isn't necessarily a, a doubt about the ideas, but it is a... Is a, a 
I guess, uh, you know, something that giving what we can, I think, might, might take a different perspective on to other parts of the community is that, you know, we really think that it's important that as many people as possible can hear about these ideas and we think there's an immense opportunity for so many people to be involved um, in effective giving. Um, and I think that that's something that we as a community could focus on a lot more, is sharing these ideas more broadly um, and with a broader population that is generally the focus of the community, uh, at this stage at least, because I know there, there are intentions to grow it. Luke? Yeah, so uh, there's always doubts on uh, when it comes to things like uh, core selection and, and uh, charity selection um, in the term of basically uncertainty. So... Um, we accept that we live in a state of uncertainty. You cannot predict the future, uh, but we can do the best that we can to make reasonable decisions in light of that uncertainty. Uh, we ha constantly have a lot of, uh, you know, internal, like, tough decisions around, like, how do we even display the causes on our page, like uh, the ordering of things in a way that is both uh, maybe represents what we think is a higher priority that we want to push people towards, but also that we think is a good user journey to uh, understand these ideas. Um, there's like day to day all sorts of doubts, like you know, if we do a campaign or something like that, you know, is, is this a good idea? Well, is this going to be better than the other? Um, this is also why we try and take a test and learn approach to a lot of things and just iterate. Yeah, it's, it's complex work what the two of you do. Keep it up. <laughs> um, on the, on the uh, topic of tests, I'm curious, uh, are there any bottlenecks that are stopping you from testing more? Is it that you don't have money, you don't have people, you don't need to test more, or you, you are testing more? You are, you are currently, you, I remember we said we're trying to test more now. Yeah, so I think it's something that we definitely want to scale up over time. But I think, you know, as the position that the organisation is, is that we have grown quite a lot in the last 12 months. And it takes time for us to reasonably able to scale something. So we're really starting to build the foundations now so that we can scale in the future. But this kind of, I guess, like foundational phase is probably going to take a little while before we're, you know, getting to do a new test every two weeks because in, in reality, our uh, marketing department is me um, <laughs> and I have limited time. Um, but that will change in the future. Um, and as we get more results and we can be more confident in the return on investment that we can generate through these types of activities, that will allow us to go out and seek more funding, more resources, more people to support these activities. Um, yeah, if it was also, it would be really nice if the world were organised in such a way that uh, giving season didn't happen once per year in each country. <laughs> uh, so we often concentrate our, some of the activities where we're going to learn the most, but it means that you kind of have to, because uh, you do have a higher conversion rate around that time, so you do smaller tests throughout the year and then, tr and then kind of once a year get a chance to really learn. And the other thing is behaviour change takes a long time. And so, for example, the Giving Guide campaign that we did, it was like, well, now we're looking back six months later to actually see what behaviour has changed. Because if you get someone who's mildly interested, like, we think about your journey to uh, some of these ideas. Very few people, like, on the spot hear about an idea and change a lot of behaviour. It takes multiple exposures to ideas. It takes, like, time that you spend investigating things. And keeping people on that journey um, can take a while to learn things. And disentangling different activities that you're doing and things that you have no idea about. So, like, someone, you know, downloads a giving guide and then uh, gets a link from the newsletter to the EA forum and then, you know, gets a free book. And then if it, there are things that we don't know. They had conversations with their friends. And so it's really hard to isolate things. Um, and so... You can do a lot, but uh, the world is really messy. <laughs> yeah, and if I think about my own journey to effective giving, you know, it took, uh, you know, a few conversations with friends that had kind of like loosely heard about the ideas and then attending a workplace talk that Luke actually hosted before I was like, oh, these are not only is this like a good idea that I had just like heard about at a bar one time, like this is something I should take seriously. And then it took me, you know, probably a couple of months from there to take the trial pledge and then it took me, you know, nine months from there to feel comfortable taking the like full giving what we can pledge. And, you know, that process took me two years. Um, so I think, yeah, we definitely can't uh, understate the importance of time in behaviour change. And now you wear that shiny badge. 
Yeah. Now I'm wearing the uh, brand new Giving What We Can pledge pin that we just launched to our members on Friday. Uh, Luke is wearing our one-year pin for our compliant members. And today I am modelling our 10-year pin. Um, Not that I've been a member for 10 years. This is just the sample pin that I'm (laughs) modelling. No false advertising here, folks. Um, I believe we have time for one more question. Uh, No one's coming after us. No, I don't think. Awesome, awesome. I really want to get the response to this. So I want to quote from what we just spoke about. Reach people at key times in their lives. Leveraging personal networks. You sound eerily like a Scientology playbook. (laughs) Do you think the effective giving community and culture is adequately avoiding groupthink? I recall last night Tony mentioned that there are hundreds more charities beyond the dozen or so that are typically recommended that you know, we should be thinking about, do you think we're, we're adequately avoiding groupthink? Well, I mean, I think one of the real benefits to the Giving What We Can pledge and the Giving What We Can community is there are no requirements on which charities someone can give to. It is in someone's, like, own choice and through their own reasoning that they can decide what is most effective. Um, So I think the fact that we don't put any requirements on that means that we do actually see a great diversity in the types of effective charities that people do give to, um, which I think is a wonderful thing. So, you know, we have a lot of people that support the, uh, you know, charities incubated by charity entrepreneurship and some of these more diverse things outside of GiveWell's top recommended charities. But Luke, you might have more to say on that. Yeah, like I, I'm, I love discussions with members about how they're spending their donation money. Um, and some, some of it's really creative. And it, it, many people who were early Giving What We Can members are now grant makers at places like Open Philanthropy, the people in the FTX regranting, the, many of our early staff have also like moved on to GiveWell or Animal Charity Evaluators, because these are people who were taking these ideas seriously um, and being really interested in going, okay, well, what could I be wrong about? And and challenging each other. Um, And so while we do provide resources and information about, like, here are some recommendations uh, and here is, more than anything, is here is how we want people to think about giving. Uh, And that is to prioritise effectiveness, to, like, teach people about here's what a hits-based approach looks like, here's what a really robust approach looks like, here's the considerations if, if you're trying to think about the lives of humans versus animals. And I think that comes back to where we see ourselves as creating this cultural norm around this like effectiveness mindset in giving, but also where we see giving what we can kind of feed into the broader ideas of effective altruism. Uh, I, I think that, that there's a massive role to play there in making sure that people do have an open mind and providing that education to them rather than just a place to donate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I think we do a pretty good job. I am I am wearing the shirt. I'm uh, <laughs> uh, with with that, that is the end of our session. Please, please thank uh, Luke and Grace for their fantastic questions and answers and Grace's talk. Thanks, Carl.